So the reading today is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should, bo- should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Um, I love how our passage begins, I must go on boasting. When I first read that, I really hear Paul sounding, well, I must go on boasting, if I must, I must go on boasting. It makes me think about... Uh, going home to visit my parents whenever my sister is around. It's a little bit like the two of us are trying to win the affections of our parents and constantly butting in to go, well, I must go on boasting. Let me tell you what I've been up to lately. That's really not the tone that Paul is taking. It's really quite the opposite, actually. That I must go on boasting, he's reluctant, he's unwilling. He's just spent the last chapter boasting about some of his weaknesses, some of his suffering, And in this passage, he goes on to boast about some of his other weaknesses. He's boasting for many reasons, but mainly to highlight the sufficiency in God's grace. So that's what we're going to talk about this evening. My name's Josh. Uh, I've been living here in Edinburgh for about 11 years, going to P's and G's for nearly all of that time. I'm married to Laura, who was on the keys. Um, I play the drums. That's my job. I play the drums, teach the drums, play drums in different bands for different people, recording, teaching, playing, all that sort of stuff. Um, And we're going to unpack this topic of sufficient grace together. I haven't got this stuff cracked, so don't think that I'm the expert on this topic. We're going to journey through it together and hopefully share a bit with one another and uh, do a little bit of thinking of our own so that we can work out how does this sufficient grace apply to us in our lives. The first thing I'd like us to do right at the beginning is I'd like you to ask yourself a question. In fact, turn to somebody next to you And it could be somebody that you came with, or a stranger, or somebody new. If you spot somebody on their own, try and uh, bring them into the conversation. But ask the question, what do you have that doesn't run out? Sounds like a riddle. It's not a riddle. What do you have that doesn't run out? Go for it. Amazing. Perfect. Well, obviously, there was a big laugh on the front row, so I want to know, what did Dave say? What, What doesn't run out? 
His patience, wow, gosh. I thought, thought you were going to say his talks or his sermons. Great. Well, I'll tell you what I have that doesn't run out. I, uh, I have a lifetime guarantee on a duffel bag. Here's a picture of the bag. Um, that's not my bag. I didn't put it in perfect lighting to take a picture of it for this talk. Um, I had this amazing red duffel bag. It's a waterproof North Face duffel bag. Uh, it was bought for me by um, some very close friends, uh, family that I used to live with. And one of their daughters has a bag just like this. And whenever she would come home to visit, I would be like, wow, your bag's amazing. That's such a cool bag. Let me pick it up. Let me carry it. It's really nice. And obviously, the hints worked because they bought it for me. It's got a lifetime guarantee. It will always be waterproof. Paul's telling us tonight that God's grace will never run out. It has a lifetime guarantee. It is sufficient. It will never go dry. I actually found that question, what do you have that doesn't run out, quite tricky. There's not many things really that we can truly say, this is what I have and it will never run out. I mean, Dave's patience will never run out. My patience runs out. Let me give you a bit of context for our passage. Paul is boasting, as I said, But the purpose of his boasting is to legitimize against this idea of super apostles, as he calls them. These apostles, these preachers, these teachers that were going around boasting of the amazing things that they were seeing and doing and being a part of. These are the kinds of apostles that would have amazing encounters with God or see God do amazing things through them. And they were starting a book tour off of the back of it or going on a big speaking tour, doing arenas, that kind of thing, if we were translating it into modern day. They were really bragging and boasting about the stuff that they were seeing God do that was awesome and amazing, and it pointed everybody to them. But Paul's heart is not that we would spend so much time talking about these heroes who often actually aren't infallible, amazing, super apostles in real life. They're just people. Paul's heart is not that they would even talk about him as a super apostle. His heart is that that, that we would talk only about Jesus the one true priest, the one deserving of being called holy, the only one who is unblemished. But Paul needed to boast about some of the stuff that he'd seen and been up to because he had to legitimize his name. We've heard before, if you've been coming along listening to this series, we've heard that part of the reason this letter was written was to speak to the people at the church of Corinth and to prove to them that there is a legitimacy to his leadership and his teaching that was once questioned after his first letter to the Corinthians. He's trying to legitimize himself. He's doing it reluctantly. He doesn't want to talk about himself. And in fact, actually, as quickly as he talks about things that might seem amazing in our passage, he quickly starts to talk about weaknesses. He does it most profoundly within the context of what he calls a thorn in his flesh. What is a thorn in his flesh? So I want to talk about weaknesses Paul tells us he is afflicted by a persistent and pervasive trial. Could it be physical? Could it be spiritual? Could it be sin-related, persecution-related? Theologians have wondered, was it a headache, a persistent series of migraines and headaches? Was it an earache that was a genuine other guess? Was he constantly getting earaches? Was it side effects from a a form of malaria fever? That was another guess by a a deep thinker. Scholars thought there was a a type of fever that you get after getting malaria. That was very common in the area at the time. And that kind of fever can lead you into big depressive lows on different kind of periods. I thought maybe he's getting a kind of fever from that. It's very ambiguous. 
And I think it's ambiguous for a really helpful reason. I'm glad that we don't know the thorn in his flesh. Because what it does is it enables us to put ourselves in the passage and it helps us to think, well, what are the thorns in our flesh? Sometimes from the outside world that come in and get us, or sometimes the thorns in our flesh that we give ourselves, that we are responsible for. Thorns can come from the outside or they can come from within. Thorns from the outside look like suffering. You know, whether you call yourself a Christian or not, a follower of Jesus or not, you will know suffering. It's one of the basic things that makes us human, I think. It binds us together as a human race. Whatever your differences in opinion or politics or whatever, you can agree that life is suffering so much of the time. Jesus even promised it. He says of John that there will be weeping and mourning in this life. Literally, the translation of weeping and mourning is loud wailing in despair. My pal Jerry just had a baby, and uh, we went and visited him recently to see the baby. He's giant. He's a ginormous baby. He's like only a few weeks old, and he's wearing six-month-old clothes. And trust me, they know all about loud wailing. But seriously, do you resonate with that ever? Isaiah talks about times in life where we wear crowns of ashes, anointed with the oil of mourning, carrying heavy laden spirits of despair. I know those times. I've sat lonely late at night in floods of tears, not knowing how to cope. I've doubted every good gift I've ever been given. I've stared into mirrors with loathing and dislike for myself. And you know, even as I get older, those times still come. Even if you get married, those times will still come. Even if you get to play the drums all the time and speak at events like this and have tons of friends and live in a beautiful capital city, those times still come. Thorns can come from our life circumstances, the struggles and troubles that we will face. That so often we can feel like we didn't deserve, we didn't need, but they come knocking nonetheless. Thorns that can look like physical illnesses. Thorns that can burrow in our minds and create storms in our minds. Thorns because of breakdowns of relationships or employment. Some of us here might be facing abject poverty, struggling to make ends meet on a week-to-week basis. Those are real thorns. Other kinds of thorns that we can face can sometimes come because of our choices. We give them to ourselves. They don't come from the outside, they come from within. Our choices, our mistakes, our sins, our transgressions, our selfish actions... These thorns also have the power to bring us to our knees. Maybe Paul's struggle was not from the outside, but within. Scholars have been so quick to assume that Paul's struggles must have been some sort of physical ailment. But maybe he just really struggled with a repeated habitual sin. Maybe he's just like us. Maybe he screwed up some of the time too, and he couldn't quite get over it. Maybe just like me, Paul struggles to live without blemish, without mistake, without things like anger or selfishness or lust or lies or screw-ups. Perhaps Paul's thorn is self-inflicted like so many of mine. What I'd like us to do right now 
And this is, this is something just to do solo on your own. And if you're making notes, make a note. Write some stuff down. Or if you're not that way inclined, just do some deep thinking. Have a little think. But I want us to spend just a very short amount of time thinking about what are your weaknesses. Like, get honest, get real. Paul in this passage is talking about boasting about his weaknesses. Now, I'm not about to spend the rest of this talk boasting about my weaknesses. It's far too public for that. But why don't we together just spend the next, what, 60 seconds, 90 seconds, just think about those things, those thorns, from the outside, from the inside. Name them, address them, look at them, write them down. Go for it. Our culture is anti-weakness. Instagram is set up purely on the premise of showing the opposite of your weaknesses. Cancel culture proves that whenever we reveal a weakness in somebody's life, we will literally crucify them for it on social media in any way we possibly can. The mantra of growing up in this day and age is about living your best life. It doesn't talk about what if you're struggling with your worst life. Sometimes church can be even worse. Sometimes I worry the most about how I come across and the things that I say when I'm in these four walls. And it's not because of anybody's direct fault, but it's because of this desire in me to not look weak. And it's reinforced sometimes because we all have that desire. So we're all bouncing off each other, trying to show the best of ourselves. And sometimes the negative rub-off of that is none of us feel safe enough to say, hey, I'm struggling, I'm weak. We are the opposite when it comes to Paul and him boasting about his weaknesses. We need sufficient grace. In a passage When Paul faced the thorn in his flesh, he persistently prayed. And though the thorn remained, he heard God tell him his grace was enough. So what is this grace like? Grace is acceptable. Grace is available. Grace is able. Firstly, grace is acceptable. In Romans chapter 6, verse 14, it says that it is our new master, this grace, a new standard under which we live. It is capable of leading us under a new way of life and tells us that we are accepted by God. Because we get God's grace extended to us, it tells us that we are accepted by him. And therefore, it is acceptable for us to live under. Grace is available. In John chapter 1, verses 14 to 17, it tells us that Jesus has given us a grace in place of grace already given. It is in abundance, and it is for now, not for later. Grace is available. Receive it now, that grace which is available. Grace in place of grace. 
And thirdly, grace is able. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 tells us to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This grace is not flimsy or weak or unable to handle the shaking it's going to get. It's strong enough to hold Christ Jesus. Therefore, it's strong enough to hold us. And we can be strong in that grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is able. My grace is sufficient for you. My, it is God's own grace. Grace, his loving kindness and his power in action is present, available for now, not tomorrow or when you've sorted it. My grace is now, it's present, it's available, sufficient. That means it never runs out, lifetime guarantee. It's able. And my grace is sufficient for you. It's given to us freely, for all of us. We are accepted by it and it is acceptable to us. Receive it. And it is because of this grace that we are also promised that our grief and our mourning and our weeping will turn to joy. That the crown of ashes will become a crown of beauty. That our spirits of despair will be replaced with garments of praise. That we will become oaks of righteousness, plantings of the Lord for the display of his splendor. By his grace. By his grace. But we need to ask for help. It's no good to just talk about how sufficient it is. We need to ask for it. In the age of anti-weakness, I'll take us one step further. Don't just boast about your weaknesses, but actually learn how to ask for help in them. You have to. Paul pleaded three times for God to remove the thorn. Jesus himself pleaded in the Garden of Gethsemane three times that there would be any other way right before he was arrested. God, would there be any other way? Would you take this cup for me? Three times he asked for help in the garden. If Jesus and Paul have to do it, So do I. We have to reach out for help. Maybe it's cliche to say this, but I really do believe that guys can find this harder than girls sometimes. And maybe that's not a wise thing to say at this time. And actually, I think all people find it hard to ask for help. But my experience of spending lots of time with lads growing up and still is that those guys are terrible at asking for help. When I was 16, a friend of mine committed suicide because he found it too hard to ask for help. When we ask for help from God, he will respond in one or all of three ways. Now, to finish this off and to show this, Mark's going to help me out. So, Mark, if you could come stand over here. Mark, I'm going to give you um, some weights to hold because sometimes these thorns in our flesh feel like weights. They're heavy and we have to hold them and they wear us out. So I'm going to give you some weights to hold. I'd like you to hold it out like this, okay? Now, I originally was going to give these three weights to three different people and Mark said, I can do it. Seven and a half kilos. It's about the weight of a six-month-old baby. Can you hold it out? Yeah, thanks. Okay, the first thing God might do when we are, see he's already shifting. <laughs> the first thing we might, that God might do when we ask for him for help is God might remove the thorn. 
bit easier, a bit lighter, no problem. God might remove it. It might be something that needs healing and he heals it. It might be a miracle and it comes. It might be a circumstance that needs to change and it changes. It might be a job that needs to go so a new one can appear and that happens. God might remove the thorn in your life. The second thing God might do is he might strengthen the bearer of the weight. So instead of removing the weight, he'll strengthen you. He'll help you. He'll guide you. He'll comfort you. He'll encourage you. And as you hold, well, no, you're, you're doing it all in your own. Feel these guns. They feel amazing. <laughs> he strengthens us to bear the weight, to hold the weight. Your muscles grow. You learn lots. Your perspective shifts on a situation or an issue. What once felt heavy starts to feel lighter. How are you doing? It's lighter. <laughs> or thirdly, what God might do is instead of taking away the weight or instead of strengthening you during it, because sometimes there are storms or thorns in life that can't be taken away. We can't go back in time and undo what we did. He just comes to us and he holds it with us. And he bears some of the weight. And he says, I'm here to hold it with you. And he walks us through it. And he holds some of that strain. How's that? <laughs> I can take that off of you. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. So to finish off, I want to ask you a question. Where do you need help? Maybe earlier you wrote down some of your weaknesses or you started to reflect on them. Or it might be something else that's happening in your life at the moment that feels like a thorn, like it's coming from the inside or the outside. But where do you need help in your weakness? Where do you need to ask the God who loves you he declares that his grace is sufficient for you. That his power is absolutely made perfect in your weakness. That whatever you're facing and enduring and suffering right now is the perfect time for Jesus to come into your life and take some of that strain or take away that thorn or strengthen you during it. I'd like to pray for us just now, but you can stay seated. And I want you to think about the answer to that question, where do you need help? Father God, I thank you that your power is made perfect in our weakness. I thank you that in this upside down life of following you, that we can actually boast about our weaknesses because it's in those times that your power is made perfect. And that's because your grace is sufficient. It never runs out. That though our iniquities and our transgressions might run deep, your grace runs deeper still. And that though there might be weeping and mourning ahead of us or even right now, God, your grace is so sufficient that it can lead us to crowns of beauty and oaks of righteousness. That we can trade mourning and grief for joy. But Jesus, we need your help. And so we present to you the things that we need help in. Some of us are asking for help for the first time in something. And God, I just pray that they would hear all of heaven cheering them on as they ask those scary, dangerous words. Jesus, help. 
Some of us are asking for help in something that they've asked for help in so many times before and nothing shifted. Well, you know what has shifted? How strong you are. That you're still here. That you're still pleading with God. That your faith is still to see that morning turn to joy. You know, all the while you've been journeying in that stuff, your muscles have been growing. God isn't leaving you in the lurch. He's walking with you. And Jesus, some of us are bringing weaknesses to you that go back long into our histories that can't be taken away or changed. And we need you to just come stand with us and hold some of the weight and take some of the strain. Like Jesus, we know that there's a way that we need to walk. And it's painful and it's scary and we pray for any other way. But if this is your will, we'll do it. Just walk with us, Lord. Thank you that you promised to, that your grace is sufficient even for times like these. Jesus, I pray that whatever journey has started or been added to or even completed tonight in your name, Jesus, I pray that we would just feel above all other things close to you. That by your Holy Spirit, even now, you would draw near to us into our innermost places. I thank you that nothing shocks you. Nothing makes you look at us with disdain. There's no weakness of mine that you think makes me look ugly. You love me. And I thank you for that, God. Come, Holy Spirit. Come to our aid, comforter, counselor, advocate, helper, rescuer. Come now. Come make your power perfect. Jesus, I ask that you would continue to do these good works in us, that you would bring them to completion for the rest of this evening, into our weeks, into our months, into our years ahead. End some chapters so that we can walk into new life in some of our weaknesses. Pray these things in your mighty name. Amen.